Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lookout Landing podcast. I am Lookout Landing's managing editor, Kate Prusser. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John Troopin. John, how are you doing today? Doing all right. Made it back. Made it back in time. I We're know you've <laughs> had some, some, some car issues. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all right. Driving down Denny is not the ideal spot for your engine to completely overheat and oh start smoking. God. But... Uh, we we got it to a shop. It's going to be fine. So I, I am indoors and not being rained on. I'm feeling good. Wonderful. And we are extra special excited today because we have a really fun <laughs> guest, a uh, superstar in the Northwest Pacific Northwest music scene. And, and I mean, really beyond. I mean, I like a world <laughs> star here. Um, but also an ardent Mariners fan, so we're really excited to talk with him today. It's Ben Gibbard. Ben, how are you? I am good. How are you guys doing? Do Outside you of being... Ben or or Benjamin? Uh, ben is fine. I I you know Benjamin. I put on things that are professionally related, and then somebody inevitably in the interview will ask me like, "Oh, are we supposed to call you Benjamin now?" Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of with a tood, uh, which, you, which you are not—you are not giving me that tood right now, Kate. But I've been given the tood about. Oh, are we supposed to call you Benjamin? No, Ben's totally fine. Yeah. Okay, I'm just trying to be respectful because you know he wants to be Daniel Vogelback now, and I feel like <laughs> if I'm going to honor that wish, I need to honor Ben versus Benjamin. But See, I mean, that that begs the question: Is I mean, has he earned Daniel yet? <laughs> I mean. That, <laughs> I mean that's a que- that's an open question. I you know maybe it'll, maybe rhetorical. I don't know. We have three Dans, and I'm not sure any of them have earned Daniel currently right. on, <laughs> on the yeah on the forty man. Yes. What is let Let's just go around really quickly. Who is currently the best Dan Daniel that the Mariners have? <sighs> it's a not gr- not a lot of fun pickings right now. I'm I'm a Valencia fan. I thought he was gonna be, you know, a little bit better than he has been, but he he's picked it up a little bit. Ben, how about you? Uh, you know, I I think I would, you know, I I I will say Dan Vogelback if only because I like that he looks kind of like a human fire hydrant, and <laughs> and and I've been referring to him as the fire hydrant when he you know was on when he was on the twenty five man and he was you know. Uh, kind of making his appearances earlier in April. And uh, yeah, uh, but I, I suppose I'm only saying that because you already took Danny Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> Who has it been was. a lot of fun. And uh, my favorite is Alta Villa because I love me a, a stocky pitcher. Talk about a fire hydrant. He is right. also like just, if a fire hydrant was made of muscles. And teeth. And teeth, <laughs> yes, that's. It was really, seriously, though, it was good to see him come out and just throw like he had been last night. Mm. That was, he was not exactly facing the teeth of the athletics order. No. Uh, But, you know, he was spotting things well. He had good command of those pitches. And, you know, hopefully this next act is going to bring him back a little. Certainly we could use a little bit more in the bullpen. Uh, yeah, because we've got, uh, it's, uh, it's like, I'm picturing a bunch of the, the skull emojis <laughs> is our bullpen right now. Yeah. So since we, we spoke last, uh, the Mariners were in the middle of kind of a promising s- series with Philly. They pulled out these improbable wins. It was super fun. And now it has been like kind of painful over the past week, um, Diaz lost his closer job. They've 
dropped four to Toronto, who decided to get right at the same time. We were kind of getting wrong. Uh, we have Cano on the DL now. It's 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 a challenging time. <laughs> isn't that always the way, though? Isn't isn't it always you know the t- the struggling team gets right against the Mariners? This this <laughs> seems to be something that happens every year. You know, and in, in another team's kind of narrative, it's it's like, well, there was that four game series against the Mariners where they really <laughs> turned it around. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm looking yeah. at and I'm looking at uh, I was looking at Toronto earlier in the season and mm-hmm. kind of to myself, like enjoying their, uh, you know, in the in the in the wake of our own kind of uh, collapse, you know, their you know, their collapse throughout the month and just kind of jo- enjoying that, you know, because that's unfortunately how, you know, I, I view things at times. And <laughs> and and thinking like, you know what, there might be a series against the Mariners where they get right. And indeed they did. Uh, <laughs> I, just watching you know, Jose the- Bautista like mm. struggle that first month, I j- just knowing that he was going to feast on whatever it was we put out there. Yeah, it was uh, frustrating to anticipate. That, but he's a good player and so i knew he was gonna you know at some point you're gonna crank the handle and he's gonna pop out of the box right like mm-hmm. it it was a matter of time most frustrating for me in that series is seeing justin smoke suddenly develop into you know offensive threat slash sterling defensive first baseman justin it was like oh just mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'll throw, I, I have a feeling over the course of this podcast there will be a lot of, quote, isn't this always the way, unquote? And, and <laughs> that, is, that falls into that category as well. There is – it seems as if, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a, li- a mental list of, of players that left the Mariners and got worse, you know, but I have a pretty long list of people who left the Mariners and somehow, quote, unquote, figured it out, you yeah. know? The latest addition to that list possibly being Jesus Sucre, who after just kind of, we gave him away for, you know, a couple bucks Mm -hmm. and he's suddenly Chris Archer. And the catching situation in Tampa Bay was bad uh, because Chris Archer pretty much treated him like he was actually Jesus when he showed up there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that seems to have gone along with an offensive explosion Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe isn't sustainable, but it's certainly every time I see an update on it, it's kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you, Ben, do you have a favorite or I guess perhaps m- maybe least favorite uh, Mariners closer that sticks out in the mind? Because when we started talking about this, I've been thinking about how Fernando Rodney is having a pretty good season in mm-hmm. Arizona mm-hmm. right now. Right. Uh, man, you know... I feel with every Mariners closer, I, I experience a similar set of emotions when they're blowing games. <laughs> so it's difficult to pick one out and say that they were my least favorite. I have to say that I'm kind of not uh, I'm not really answering your question, but I have to say that as much frustration as Fernando Rodney uh, uh, caused in me over the course mm-hmm. of his tenure with the Mariners, I have to say that you know he's I enjoyed having him on the team because he's really funny. Mm-hmm. And and he was always just doing weird stuff all the time, and and so you know I even when he would you know when he would kind of we'd have a two run lead or something like that, and then he'd load the bases with no outs and somehow <laughs> you know co- somehow like sneak out of it and still have the audacity to shoot the arrow. <laughs> I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> and you know I don't mm-hmm. know what your profanity policy is on your podcast, but I would be just like 
you know, just yelling at the TV like, oh, you're shooting the arrow now. Really? We're going to shoot the arrow. But in a way, I felt like he was kind of trolling all of us, which I kind of enjoyed. Yeah. You know? Uh, I believe somewhere around week two of the season, our profanity policy became much more lax. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At uh, first, you're... I was like, "What if there are kids listening?" But children should not probably be exposed to Mariners baseball. So that's on. That's already. If you're raising your kid to be a Mariners fan, that's that's already poor parenting right there. I have to yeah. say, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite things to do when the Mariners are uh, either losing or especially when they when they blow a lead, when the bullpen blows a lead late in the game, is to you know, I do this as much for my own perspective as for, for perspective and amusement is to read the at mentions to the Mariners Twitter account, oh. and, which is my favorite thing to do because it's, you know, I mean, Twitter is a terrible medium for a lot of reasons, but it's great when you see what like technically adults melting down, <laughs> melting down. One of my favorites, I wish I, I wish I would have screenshotted it, but it was like you know, early in the season, you know, they blow a lead, they're lo- they lose, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a dad is saying, like, I just took all of my kids' Mariners gear and I'm throwing it in the garbage. I can't I can't raise my kid as a Mariners fan. F this. And I was like, this is great. This is just so inappropriate on so many levels. But also admirable because you're doing your kid a favor in the long run, I feel, you know. For sure. The Mariners definitely um, present a question early on about whether you're going to teach your child uh, how to – lose with grace or yes. how to just lose <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, you know i uh, a couple years ago i did uh, I, it wasn't this wasn't scientific math although i'm not sure that's even a thing um but i kind of i did i i kind of wanted to look at like you know win loss records from the year the mariners began in 77 until now now being that point and I determined mm-hmm. that the Mariners, if you, if you kind of have to exclude uh, expansion teams, but I, I, I realized that the Mariners were, in fact, the losingest team of my lifetime. Mm. You, know, you know, I was born in 1976, the Mariners started in 77, and they have mm-hmm. consistently been, you know, over the course of that period of time, when I did this, <laughs> the scientific math, uh, of course, the losingest team of my, life, of my lifetime. I was like, well, of course, that's fitting. Like, of course, this is my team. This is the team that <laughs> I was born into. I was born into. I can't do anything about it. I can't pick another team. And I love them, but I also hate them, you know, at the same time a lot of the time, which I'm sure is, I'm sure you guys could relate to. Well, I think seeing a lot of, I mean, the Lookout Landing account has, a, a, I don't know, a tenth, a twentieth of the follows that the the Mariners account does the official one, but I still see a fair amount of just bizonkers takes out of people. <laughs> and I think a lot of times what it is, is it's a, it's a sense of powerlessness and anger that people really want to root for a different team, but they can't for whatever reason, because they just feel compelled. They had a long conversation with a dude in the mentions talking about how good the Astros are and how, what a great do- job they've done building their system. It's like, <laughs> you need to just go be an Astros fan. <laughs> like, and then he was, he was disgusted by that idea. And I was like, you just detailed from top to bottom why you think they're a great organization. Go, be- you already are a fan. Just embrace it. It's really Don't- hard. It's really hard though. You know, I, when I was living in LA briefly uh, for a couple of years, I, I decided that I was going to become a Dodgers fan because I felt that was an okay thing to do. I can have an American League team and a National League mm-hmm. team. In my mm-hmm. mind, I was like, that's okay. They're, they might they meet so rarely. They're certainly not going to meet in the World Series. So, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, so, but this, this is an okay thing to do. I can kind of pick up uh, the Dodgers and I will become a Dodgers fan. This will be a kind of a thing I can talk to people, at, you know, 
in line at the coffee shop about whatever. And it just, you, you, I, I learned that you just cannot do that. It's, it's not something you can force. You cannot create fandom as much as I believe you have to grow into it. I believe you can grow into it. I have mm -hmm. no people who have, well, I've lived in you know San Francisco for 25 years. I'm from Chicago and I became a Giants fan you know, in 1996, 97, whatever. And, you know, so this is great that they're winning. They had, when they're going through that run of World Series, you know. But mm. I, I don't, I, I, I wish it was that easy because I, I, I imagine a lot of us would have done it a long time ago <laughs> if it was that easy to just shift, you know. Well, it's interesting, like, with Seattle being a place with so many people who've moved from other places, and I feel like I meet a ton of people who said, "Oh, well, I'm from here, but now I'm a now I'm a Seattle fan, or now I'm a you know Seahawks fan or a Mariners fan." And it's like, why would like how does how does <laughs> that work? I feel like when you grow up somewhere, I mean, I guess maybe it's different if you move around a bunch, but when you grow up somewhere, I feel like that's sort of what really imbues it into you know you have to be a Mariners fan is you know this sort of sense of well I grew up watching Griffey or I grew up watching you know Ichiro or whatever and I don't know it it, it seems like I guess what m first made you a Mariners fan that that makes it so impossible to shake at this point well I, I grew up in Bremerton Washington across the mm -hmm. water um, and my dad was in the Navy and and we they moved out here in the mid-70s and kind of decided that they were going to stay. Um, and so when I was a kid, uh, you know, I'm talking five, six years old, we would, you know, we would go to the Kingdome and mm. sit in the, at the time, $3 seats. And, and you know, my, d <laughs> my dad, I still, I still kind of tease my dad about this, but we would always sit in the, in the outfit, in left field, um, in the overhang, like left center, there was an overhang where you could watch the game on TV because mm -hmm. they had TVs. <laughs> you couldn't see the whole field. So we would sit We would sit in the overhang because, oh, this is great. You can watch it on TV. And it's like the view of the field is just like some outfield, right? You couldn't really see anything else. But you could watch it on TV. And honestly, at that time in the 80s, the Mariners weren't on TV. No, baseball was on TV once a week. So, right. mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you'd, you know, there was nobody there. And you could kind of run around the stadium and sit wherever you wanted. And. You know, I just, I, you know, I fell in love with baseball on the radio with Dave Niehaus. And, you know, we would go to, you know, not a lot of games, but I, they just were, they were my team. And I loved Alvin Davis and Spike Owen and Mark Langston. And, um, you know, I, those, those like early to mid 80s teams were kind of my, you know, my first real foray into, into fandom. So you've persevered for a while, is what you're saying? Because <laughs> I I did not have a lot of experience with those early '80s teams, but I, beyond Alvin Davis and Mark Langston, I don't. It it it. There was not a lot there. There certainly was not. No, and but at the time you're a kid. You know, at least when I was a kid, I guess that's I was nine, ten years old at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you didn't care if they won or lost. I mean, I I knew they were bad, but you know mm -hmm. the kind of the overwhelming you know, uh, kind of losing was not something that affected me on a daily basis, strangely. Mm. I mean, it, 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 it has affected me more in during periods in my adult life, which is kind of shameful. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but and, you know, there was a period when I was, you know, in my early, mid-20s where I kind of was, I, I just, I wasn't really watching sports and didn't really kind of spend a lot of time with the Mariners and then, you know, missed a lot of the best years, honestly, and then kind of came back around to it in my late 20s and, you know, as a way of kind of connecting not only with my, 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 my parents and my city, but also just with my love of the sport from when I was a little kid. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I was um, in high school around the time of the 95 team. So 
I definitely remember it and remember experiencing it and it was super exciting but I also wasn't of an age where I could like drive myself to the stadium I didn't have like um I guess a lot of power in in so far as like things I could do now with getting myself to see to see the team more and and being there and being really present and also like just being able to go out to a bar and drink and watch the team and connect with fans that way so I was going to ask you if you had any memories of that because you would have been kind of right in a sweet spot of young adulthood for that team well what's interesting is that was kind of a part of my life where I you know I was aware of the team but I wasn't as swept up in it as I was when I was younger and then as I got older I think at that point in my life I was in college I was music was the only thing I cared about um and I think you know somewhere I'm somewhere in my teen years I think as I kind of fully immerse myself in punk rock and indie rock culture and all that kind of stuff that was there was you know there were the art weirdos and the jocks Mm -hmm. and sports kind of fell into a category of things that were (laughs) not cool to like Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. and i kind of put it i put all of my fandom and like love of of baseball and other sports kind of aside as i when i immerse myself in this other culture and you know, I think it's the way a lot of teenagers do. You, and these teenagers, when I was a teenager, like you kind of had to pick a lane and stay in it. And yeah. I feel that's that's less that's less prevalent now. But at the time, it was like you're either with us or you're with these people. And it's like, well, I guess I'm with you guys. And so, you know, I I have memories of it because my parents, you know, have been fans the whole time, and you know, we would watch the games. And but it it, it didn't you know it didn't make the impact on me that it would have hap- had had it happened you know you know six years later or seven years later or something like that you know. So I have to ask then, when you started, and I, I really connect to that idea of, like, I literally put all of my Edgar Martinez cards in a drawer and remember going off to, cl- to college and closing the drawer and thinking, oh, this is this, is this then. Uh, I have to go this other way now, and, you know, I, I can't take both baseball cards and books. So <laughs> when you started to reconnect to it, what really triggered... Um, or who was maybe your most intriguing or favorite player at that time? Or, or what, what, what team really caught your interest as you were looking to make this connection? Well, I, I think really it was, you know, it was a lot of the teams that were kind of around Ichiro when Ichiro came, came over. I think, you know, that was, you know, it was, it was a time in my life where not only was I was kind of ready to, you know, <laughs> develop other interests, um, and, and reconnect and reconnect with you know things that had meant a lot to me when I was younger. But you know it was you know obviously at that time you know the sport was just riddled with you know meatheads hitting 500 foot home runs. Right. And, and you have this you know just unbelievably dynamic player in Ichiro and you know just the circus, the media circus, and the excitement that came with his you know early years was you know, really helped to draw me back in. So is it fair to say, is he your favorite all-time Mariner, or does that spot belong to one of those early 80s superstars? You know, it'll always be Alvin Davis. Um, and really? Yeah, because, you know, that was he was the first ball player that, you know, I like I wanted to be like. You mm. know, it's a similar, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometime, it, it, to make a, maybe a bad analogy, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a slight tangent here. It's like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I get asked, I get asked the question like, well, what was the first record that you know, what was the first band that really meant a lot to you? And 
you can answer what was you can take that question as like what was the first cool band that you liked right. and say oh man that for you know slint spiderland that was the record that really did it for me it's like well no i heard that record when i was 17 uh, you have to go back to like no it's really hall and oates big bam boom that's really my favorite you know that's really my favorite record because i heard it when i was eight and i like loved it and you know i you know and i think we tend to edit out you know you know, things that moved us in our childhood because we feel like we, our taste became more refined or uh, more discerning. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in when I get asked that question going all the way back to my childhood, and I answer this question similarly when it comes to Mariners. Like, Alvin Davis was my favorite. He, he was, I wanted to be like him. I, when I was uh, nine years old, I believe, uh, we were coming back from a Mariners game on the Bainbridge Ferry, and he was on the ferry. And my dad was like, Ben, that's Alvin Davis. And I, I had like, you know, a, like, a, you know, the programs from the game. And I, you know, walked up to him really sheepishly and really nervously and asked for his autograph. And he was could not have been nicer and signed it for me. And I still have it today. And I think, that's you know, awesome. because that was my first interaction with not only a, a baseball player, but like a l legit famous person. And you know, they were so accommodating and nice and friendly. I mean, I was nine years old. I mean, who's going to be mean to a nine-year-old? <laughs> you know, but, you know, but so I think, you know, so I kind of see my fandom and how I relate to Mariners players kind of split across those lines. Like, there's the players that I grew an appreciate appreciation of, you know, in later when I was you know, in life, uh, you, you know, i.e. Ichiro, and then there are, you know, um, there is, uh, you know, like the, the the player in Alvin Davis that I first fell in love with when I was a little kid. I think that those those ideals of like um, of having a hero and having that hero be a good person that's something that we move away from when we get older and more cynical and uh, more analytical. And I think that there is like a there's a push to make a, a smart choice, like you said, with like uh, what record most influenced you or who was your favorite. Like we want those choices to reflect well on us. But as I've gotten older, I have recognized mine was Edgar Martinez, always Edgar Martinez. Um, and I had a similar similar experience where I met him when I was 10. I went to a signing. We were late for the signing and he was so accommodating about just staying over and really talking to me and you know that model of like grace and this is what a hero looks like and this is how a hero acts in real life and um i think that there's there's something really pure and lovely about those ideas that we sometimes dismiss as schmaltzy or um on unintellectual <laughs> and i just i think it's super powerful to connect back to those things and now that i am older and Edgar's involved with the team and maybe you feel similarly with this with the help that Alvin Davis is giving out giving to the minor leaguers you know it just kind of it gives me this really satisfying feeling of having come full circle absolutely I, I feel that way for sure and to your point um, you know I think that athletes are unique in the celebrity spectrum in that um, you know there a lot of a lot of their audience are children Right. I mean, you know, I mean, Tom Cruise, for example, is a movie star. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Tom Cruise. <laughs> Sorry, I said that like you guys wouldn't know. Um, he's a giant movie star. Uh, maybe, you know, he's jumped on a stuff. couch. Yeah. Um, maybe and, and, you know, it's like, but, you know, 
and or whether it's you know Dave Grohl or someone else like there are people who I'm sure they're well I, I know Dave a bit he's a good guy but I have never met Tom Cruise I have no idea what he's like but you know with being a rock star or a movie star doesn't necessarily come the responsibility of dealing with children who are admirers of you mm-hmm. right in the same way did you way not get a lot of kids at the death cab shows you're saying uh well you know not nine-year-olds you know i mean like teenagers yeah teenagers yes and, and, and we do... all know you don't have to be nice to teenagers no not at all no they're teenagers are terrible we all know this um i'm actually starting to get to an age where i'm starting to become scared of teenagers again so, like, like i was scared of other teenagers when i was a teenager then there was a period of time where i was like uh you know screw these teenagers like i'm an adult and now i'm like oh there's a pack of teenagers i don't know Across the street. Scary. Across the street, yeah. But, you know, I mean, but athletes have to, you know, they, you know, you know, they have to interact with, you know, small children all the time. And, they, and small children look up to them in a way that um, they don't to, let's, you know, a, you know, musicians or actors or certainly not politicians or anybody else like that. <laughs> so um, I, I find that's an interesting, it must, it, it's got to be interesting to be in that position as a professional athlete and, you know, have to have your be cool hat on a lot of the time when you're, in the world because you're dealing with children who look up with you in a way that they just don't look up to other people. I'm curious for either of y'all, have you all met, I, I guess this could translate to any, anyone necessarily who's, who you looked up to growing up, but specifically with athletes, have you met anyone that necessarily surprised you that you, you thought, uh, you know, obviously that Alvin Davis story was wonderful and he was a fantastic guy. Has there been anyone that either was, you know, you, you were, concerned might not be friendly and actually turned out to be great or vice versa um yeah uh, well as, in the world of in the world of uh s- sports people i i don't i i tend to i, I tend to not i, I tend to not ex- i haven't met a lot of baseball players sure. in my life um and and you know just all you need to, I mean, maybe I, this is maybe really judgmental, but like, you know, if you just listen to a lot of the walk-up music that these guys come up to, you're like, okay, I'm probably not going to have much to talk to about this guy who's, you know, got like the song about his truck as like his walk-up music. Probably not going to, we may not kind of have a lot to mm-hmm. speak about. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, I have t- have friends who are, who are sports writers who will say about certain players like yeah these all these guys do is play playstation and go to the ballpark every day they're not readers you know a lot of them are not reading you know proust as you know (laughs) kate likes to do um uh but and that's fine they're you know i'm not i don't say that uh to be um to be judgmental or to uh to to undermine their athletic intelligence in relation to intellectual intelligence you know Mm -hmm. there are many different types of intelligence they can do things that i could never dream of doing and vice versa um but i have to say one person that i kind of became kind of buddies with when i was on twitter and that we kind of hung out a couple times when he would come to shows is um will rhymes who used to play for the um he he was he was kind of bouncing around he was with the uh rays for a period of time and the nationals and just an unbelievably, you know, thoughtful, you know, in, in, you know, he was intelligent a, he was infielder, right? Second base, yeah, 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 really, okay. really like well read, really into a lot of, you know, great music, really culture. We were culturally al- on the lot, the same, uh, same plane, which was, uh, and, and you know, I haven't spoken to him in some time, but he was a really great guy, and you know, I guess, I guess that that's uh, has, speaks more to my stereotypes than it does <laughs> the re- reality, but it's you know. That I was, I was like, wow, this guy's really cool and kind of like 
gets you know has a sense of humor that is in keeping with a lot of my friends and and you know knows a lot of references and and reads mm. actual books and that's just not something <laughs> that I tend to expect from <laughs> professional athletes and like I said that's my that's that is completely my stereotype you know going back to the jocks and the art weirdos from high school you know we it never changes <laughs> it never changes does it right I just think that it's you know it's a measure of how you have to just have that single-minded focus if you're going to excel at a sport like you don't have so much time for the reading of books although I know that there are some who read I know especially some minor league players who read and they read books about <laughs> baseball but they read um yeah and so I, do, I, and I, and I and I think I'm sorry to your point I think that's correct I mean you know I can't I can only imagine the amount of singular focus it requires to become a professional athlete in general but definitely a professional baseball player and i obviously have the utmost admiration for that otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it right now you know well it's kind of the same I, and these guys are very much i think developmental you're talking about players they're usually in their early 20s to mid 20s you know it's it's sort of the singular focus you had to put on making music for a while right oh definitely yeah i mean it's absolutely i mean I, my world my worldview got very small when music was literally the only thing in my life that I cared about and, and was all I wanted to do with every second of my day. So, yeah, I can completely relate to that. And in that way, you might have more in common with these people than you think, because you both know what it is to nourish a great love for something and the amount of dedication it takes to do that. Yeah, that might be true. That might be true. Um, so this kind of leads me to another question, which was uh, from one of our staff my, staff writers, T. Miller. Um, we've talked about which which Mariners kind of stand out. Who is your favorite, most underappreciated Mariner? And I think we maybe covered who is your favorite for non-baseball reasons, because I assume. That... Underappreciated Mariner. Yes. Oh, man. Um... This would be this would be the smart the smart answer as opposed this would, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to the Hall and Oates answer I guess yeah, yeah you know I have to say <laughs> I I have to say I it's I've as it pertains to this this team and this uh, season I it's been so enjoyable watching Guillermo Heredia like I I, I it's been he's been so Definitely. so fun to watch and you know like y you know you have to obviously see uh, a player perform over the course of an entire season you know to or two for that matter to start believing in their potential but um you know there is a particular kind of joy that i see him play the game with that is it just make he's just really fun to watch and you know uh, with through all of this kind of the you know well, i think there's like 79 people on the dl right now <laughs> um you know it's i guess one of the kind of silver linings of all that is that you're, we get to see him play every day, and I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think he was that that was their plan all along. Um, uh, I could be wrong about that, but um, you know, it has been it has been really enjoyable to watch him play. It has been, and I think what you said about his energy, I described him once as a as somebody having buttoned a baseball uniform over a Tesla coil, like he's just. <laughs> electric and you can just tell every single he wants to hit every single ball he has to stop himself and he does a good job because he's great plate discipline but he lunges towards every pitch and you can almost see him telling himself like no no Guillermo no no step back but it's like and then he he lunges and then he has to walk across the plate because his body 
like his weight has carried him forward and then he does this like little promenade around and he comes back and takes an it's it's an event every single time and i believe i believe it was a, a piece that you wrote kate about him um and just about his kind of journey or i, I, or I think that's isabel our okay. she is our staff um <laughs> She is our staff Guillermo Heredia appreciator. Ah, uh, okay, I see. I, you, slash Cuban appreciator. I see. Okay, yeah. I and you, I've I've also been uh, as a as a baseball fan. I'm really fascinated with um, the literal and uh, you know cultural journey that players, specifically from Cuba, have to make when they transition to to the major leagues. And you know, not only are they being asked to perform at this at the highest level in the in the world but they're dealing with a language barrier and a cultural barrier and you know where do i get food that i like mm -hmm. and you know uh, you know all of uh, i just can't imagine being mm -hmm. uprooted and you know kind of placed somewhere in the world that i have no knowledge of and then being expected to not only do my job but then also live my day-to-day -day life as if uh, be comfortable living a day-to-day -day life so that i can do my job i mean that so for him to be performing as he has been under those circumstances as well is is, is pretty inspiring so uh kind of on that same tip how did you feel about deho lee were you a big deho fan i loved deho <laughs> i loved him he you know i think he if if we were talking if we if this podcast was being taped last year at this time i would have said he was by far my favorite player on that team i just <laughs> I just I, I loved everything about him. I just loved the smirk he always seemed to kind of have <laughs> on his face. I love how he does he his he looked kind of like you know like grimace <laughs> like his body type was kind of like grimace you know <laughs> with a baseball bat and I just, grimace I mixed with like the Kool Aid. Guy. Yeah, I just loved him. I love I mean I love I love I mean I love players athletic players that you know are fine tuned physical specimens that are able to. Run, you know, run and, and, and run down fly balls and that kind of stuff. That's great. But also, you know, I feel like Deho, in a way, was kind of a throwback to, like, a Gorman Thomas, mm -hmm. you know, John Crook kind of like, yeah, I mean, he'll <laughs> run into, like, 20 of these things. But, you, you know, I wouldn't put him in the field if I were you, you know. So I, I was sad to see him go. I, I, I really enjoyed his, his tenure with the team. I think that I might miss him more than anyone else off of the 2016 roster non-Mike Montgomery division. <laughs> um, well, speaking about um, being athletes and everything, I have to ask you about this crazy run that you just ran went on, which I saw the Instagram pictures, and they made me vaguely <laughs> sick. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into this sort of ultra running and uh, and what exactly you were up to with, with, your, uh, with your crew the other day? Uh, yeah, so I... Uh, for some reason, I I decided that I was uh, I wanted to run really really long distances and have been doing so for about five years or so and uh, and uh, every once in a while you kind of have to just do something stupid <laughs> that involves running long distances to kind of break up you know not only the sometimes monotony of of training but also just to kind of emphasize how ridiculous running these long distances is by pairing it with something equally ridiculous. And um, some friends of mine in Portland had done a, a 50K run where they connected a bunch of Taco Bells. And oh. I thought, well, like, I would like to do that, <laughs> but let's do it in Seattle and let's connect Dick's, Dick's Burger locations. Yeah. And we, so we did what amounted to like a 35K, it was like 22, 23 miles. 
and connected all five Dick's locations in Seattle. And the rule, the rule was you had to eat a burger and fries at each location, and you had to drink at least one milkshake at one of the first four locations because the fifth one was only like a half mile from the finish. So... Um, so the first one went. The first we started at ten thirty in the morning. Oh. The first one was fine. <laughs> Actually, I did, I chose to do the milkshake first. That's smart. Because I figured like I don't eat any breakfast. We ran like two or three miles and then like put that down. That all sat mm-hmm. just fine. <laughs> uh, we ran. That was at the Queen Anne location. Then we drove. Then we ran six and a half miles up to the Holman Street one. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was all right. Um, you know. <laughs> And then the third one was up off of Lake City Way, and that's when it started to get kind of real. <laughs> and it was like, and you could start seeing people. And the funny thing is, I was running with like ten of my friends, a lot of, like seasoned ultra runners. A lot of them were talking a really big game about how easy this was going to be. <laughs> and it was at the third location where people started thinking like, maybe I'm not going to finish this thing, <laughs> or they started looking at the burgers like that they were they were there to hurt them, you know. <laughs> so. The third one, the third one was was that's when it started getting rough, and then we hit Wallingford, uh, and that's when it really turned. That's when everybody, that's when three <laughs> people dropped off. Like I cannot do this anymore. This is really I I cannot do it. And um, so and then we hit Capitol Hill, and then we ended at the Fleet Feet on Capitol Hill where we started. Um, and I have to say, it was it didn't feel good. Like it didn't feel good um, for the last hour or so. Um, but really, and I will go into no details on this, it's really been the days after <laughs> that have been the worst. That's been the worst. Uh, things, things are not normal uh, on, in the Southern Hemisphere, and I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get back to zero. You know? <laughs> trying to get back to zero. And honestly, and my final point on the thing, it's, I thought the burgers would be the hard part. It was the fries. <laughs> the fries were just oh. rough because, like, they're so – it's like eating an entire potato <laughs> and all that salt. I mean, oh, you want yeah. the salt because you're sweating a lot. You're losing salts. So, you know, but just the – I mean, everybody, by the, by the time we left, by the time we were on our way to Wallingford, everybody was saying some version of, I feel like I'm drunk, <laughs> you know, because everybody's starting to feel really disoriented. And unlike a traditional – marathon or ultra where like you have lows but then you kind of get second wins there was no second win there was just it just got worse and worse and <laughs> we finished and uh it was everybody had a story out of it it was fun but i don't necessarily think i'd want to do it again no no why does the whole thing feel like a uh a, an analogy for being a mariners fan <laughs> right yeah it kind of does right you think the first one's good right you're like okay well this isn't exactly what i want <laughs> You know, this isn't what I really wanted, but, you know, I'm here, right? And there's some good things you can look at. Oh, yeah, that milkshake doesn't look that bad, you know. It's not that bad. I, if you look at it one way, that could work. I'm not really in the mood for a burger right now, but I'm here, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was commenting to Kate, to our mutual friend Mike, over, uh, over message a couple days ago. Doesn't it feel, for both of you guys, I feel like this every, this, every Mariner season – for the past, I don't know how long, has felt like one long rainy Monday game against the A's. No. <laughs> I mean, does it feel like just the energy, the energy, and like just the vibe? Like nobody wants to be here. You know, it's cold. It's a Monday. Like there's nobody in the stands. It just kind of felt like I feel like Giovanni Gallardo like, well, is pitching. 
He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be there. He'd rather be anywhere else. You can see that. You can see like the breath coming off of it. Like he's like, it's cold. (laughs) And there's, you know, 5,000 people in the stands. And you're like, oh, this is bad. But uh, yeah. I miss, uh, I think one of the things I do miss about Deho in in that regard and and Adam Lind even as well. The only thing perhaps I miss about Adam (laughs) Lind is like, on those types of games, you would st- it was like a it was like watching the sideline of a football game where like the steam <laughs> is just rising off of their heads, and it was just like you'd look over and it was like you know it was like he had like a pack of cigarettes in his back pocket or something. Like <laughs> it, was just, totally. it was just a little like fog, a little smoke screen around Deho around first, but. It has been a rough start to this year. Yeah, I have. I have to say, you mentioned Adam Lind. Like I. I I I was I was wrong about Adam Lind in in relation to the the his his personality. Yes. Like I just I looked I would see photos of Adam Lind or see him playing on other teams over the past I don't know how many years and just go like this guy I don't know about this guy like I don't I I can't imagine this guy's cool at all and then kind of seeing his how he where he would pop up on social media yes. amongst other mm. mariners i was like oh this guy's funny as hell like i think this guy's cool like i went from really disliking him for really superficial reasons to like him becoming one of my favorite players on that team because he clearly was just like screw it i'm having a good time here whatever like well because you know, he I, looked like he was one of those guys who's just like country music and like maybe politics that i don't totally agree with and 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 then he'd put up these instagrams and he'd be like It'd be like a $50 bottle of wine with an Uncle Ike's bag in the background. <laughs> or he did an Instagram where he was at the Seattle drag show or Seattle, he was at Pride, at a drag show at Pride. And he was like, loving Seattle. It's like, oh, oh, I've, I've badly, I have badly underestimated you. Well, I'm very glad you did, though, because, Ben, you, I, it is a shame you have not had the opportunity to experience this, and I recommend it to anyone if you get the chance to watch a baseball game with Kate. The, there is no one who more viciously uh, hexes <laughs> players uh, <laughs> mid-game. It, heckle is not the correct word. It is a hex. Uh, and I watched as she spoke some sort of incantation that was 90% curses and maybe 10% Adam Lynn's name. Um, and he hit a home run the next at bat. And I have never seen someone just so effectively j- just jolt a player into effectiveness. So Every time. I love that. I love that. Every I also, time. I love that. I also love being wrong about people. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it just in life, I, I'm, I'm always, I always want to be I, when I, if I have a less than favorable view of somebody or, if I think that if I think I can anticipate someone's uh, moves that are going to that are, you know, whether it be it, this is more like in, per, in with other people like uh, you're you always do this. You're always going to react like this. And then they don't. And they, you can see you can see people either learning from their mistakes or learning how to be better people. Or in the case of an athlete, like oh, this person is a lot more interesting and and funny and engaging than I thought they were. And that's on me. You know, like I always like to be wrong about people in those scenarios. I always like to be wrong in general because it reminds me (laughs) that I don't know everything there is to know about the world. And as much as the world disappoints me sometimes, it could also (laughs) still hold joy and beauty in surprising places when sometimes I feel like I've exhausted all those corners to search for those things. So, yep, yep, I agree. The gift of being wrong. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking maybe we should take a little break 
and uh, when we come back, maybe answer. We got a ton of Twitter questions. It turns out you're kind of popular. Like, <laughs> people want to ask you things. So, uh, well, I, so can, can, we, can we just can we, uh, let me just get out in front of this and say that no, there will not be another post service record. Can we? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I specified baseball only questions. Okay, good, good, good. But, good, but good, yeah, good. a lot of people really stretch that to uh, to work in <laughs> some things that they were wondering about. Uh, right, we did exactly. get a question asking if there will be a Felix song to partner with your excellent Ichiro song. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got to do something, right? We all, we all got to pitch in and help this guy. I feel like, I feel <laughs> we, we've all got joints and, and <laughs> just general bits of arm muscle that I think we can contribute. Yeah, we I all have to so. give yeah. something. So you yeah, use yeah, your exactly. gifts. <laughs> he can have my calf for sure, just in case. All right, well, we'll take a little break, and then we'll, uh, we'll be back with Ben Gibbard. Go, 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 each row, round and third and head for home. Don't you know, he beats the throw. Dave says on the radio, each row, you're unbelievable. All right, we now is the time on the podcast where we take your Twitter questions, uh, which are great this time. We should have famous rock stars on all the time, John. Why, why haven't we thought of this before? It is, it is genius. It is the way to go. So much engagement. All right, John, what have you got for us? Um, so we've got a variety of questions here. Uh, let's start with Luke Spooks here, who asks, what is your favorite trail uh, in the greater Seattle area, or I guess this could be just a general running path to hit after a bullpen collapse. <laughs> sort of uh, perhaps you, you too topical, <laughs> but... Yeah. Oh, you mean one of my rage runs, <laughs> as I call them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I, I'll, t- I'll tell my wife. I mean, normally, you know, I, I'm not heading out on the trails at 1030 after a bullpen collapse, but, uh, in you know, I, I do... I, I mean, I do most of my training out in Issaquah, as do a lot of, you know, local trail and ultra runners on cougar and squawk and tiger and rattlesnake and and especially with the snow levels are so uh the snow levels are so low this season that um it's i don't feel like we're gonna be able to get in like some deep mountain time until probably july which is crazy but um you know i i've i've always loved the tiger mountain trail i kind of like to hop on that and it just it just kind of goes all the way across it's like 15 miles long it goes from one end of tiger to the other and you know, it's just like a good backbone for a lot of the training that I do out there. So, you know, it's like it's and there's a little sign say TMT, like you <laughs> kind of, you know, they have little painted signs out there. I just kind of like those are kind of the designs kind of cool. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of like to get lost out there a lot. Luke had an uh, had a corollary question that I didn't put on the list, but he said transatlanticism got him through training for a marathon. And he was wondering what is on your playlist uh, you know, I tend to not listen to music, um, if only because music has a way of marking time that I prefer to not have happen when I'm on long runs. Like, you know, a, mi- <laughs> a song is like four minutes long or whatever. And then you've I've listened to six songs and maybe only a half hour has gone by or whatever. So either, especially on the trail, one of the reasons I love running running trails and uh, mountain stuff is like, you know, you, you, really, you really lose track of how far you've gone and that almost makes psychologically allows me to go further like if i'm running in the city and i see the space needle i'm like okay i gotta run past that and then do another thing like and it just seems to get 
doesn't get big enough fast enough, mm. you know, and you can kind of focus on it. So um, I tend to listen to uh, when I do like long training runs by myself, I'll either listen to bring nothing or I'll listen to, um, you know, podcasts, baseball podcasts or news podcasts, radio lab, stuff like that. Okay, cool. Um, our next question, I guess this is something we sort of got a variety of questions on. Um, and I'm going to tie it in since I actually saw you recently play some, not <laughs> baseball, but softball. Uh, but a lot of people want to know if you can personally pitch for the team. And so I saw <laughs> you participate in the, uh, sort of the all-star, uh, celebrity, uh, charity game. And I'm curious about your, your personal baseball history and, and, you gave us a little bit of a scouting report, but how how do you think you'd hang up there? I guess with with Chase DeJong and and Christian Bergman. Uh, you know, I I think I, I still think probably a backup catcher is a better choice for mop up duty than a forty <laughs> year old uh, indie rocker. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I played hardball up until high school, and then when I was living in LA, I pl- actually pitched in a in a rec league in LA. Interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was like a little league for adults. You know, there were like there was like little league for adults, and then there was a league above that that was like people who played in college or you know semi pro whatever. And and that was like real. I mean, you, you know, I was not would ever never be good enough to. Yeah, play John in that, plays but. in one of those. Oh Indeed. really? It, it's it's an interesting mixture because you have the like. People who played in, you know, high school who were good. You know, people who played in college at any level of college. So, like, I played Division Three, which is kind of whatever. And then there's, like, a guy who played on Gonzaga on my team. They're former <laughs> minor leaguers. And it's like, this is great. But then, like, they're also, like, smoking a bowl in the dugout before the game. Or, like, <laughs> chugging a beer, uh, you know, in the in the parking lot before the game. So, it's like, it's, I don't know. It's a very fun <laughs> mixture, I guess, you get in adult baseball, which is yeah weird. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. yeah, yeah. It's just, no, it's just I, weird. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, throwing 75 miles an hour and had a curveball was enough to dominate. So just yeah. that's kind of that's <laughs> yep. pretty much how that's how good it was. But I, it is. But, you know, I was playing a lot of people I was playing with. They're all 30s and 40s and all different walks of life, which was kind of great. And mm-hmm. I have a memory. I don't know. There's an appropriate story to tell, but I'll tell always, it anyways. Always like, appropriate. Where it's like I'm in the I'm in the dugout. We're playing. Uh, we're playing uh, somewhere in some college actually a pretty nice field pretty nice field there's like palm trees lining the out you know the outfield fence and this guy on my team kind of plops down next to me in the dugout in between innings and he goes like hey man no homo but those trees are really beautiful (laughs) i was like what (laughs) what are you talking about like first off that's a fucking terrible thing to say. No homo yep. is a terrible, homophobic, right. shitty thing to say. <laughs> right. And then secondly, it has nothing to do with being gay or straight or anything. You could just say, those trees are pretty beautiful. And I wouldn't, like, why would you think that I would immediately think you were gay for saying that, for admiring, like, nature? That's crazy. It's just so crazy. Why would you do that? And there were like inevitably shit like that was happening all the time yeah. with these with these group of guys. They're like, no homo, but those trees are really beautiful. Yeah, they are. And there's no, ne- there's, you don't you don't need to add that, you know, like precursor to the to your observation. It's totally unnecessary. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. I mean, in the Victorian era, that probably would have been some kind of heavily coded gay language. So maybe he's just a time traveler. 
and may and maybe he was maybe he was a closeted gay man who thought I <laughs> might also be gay and was trying to make a connection. You know, <laughs> over that, the beautiful, also possible. over those beautiful trees. Trying How did your relationship with Ben start? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I activated the sleeper cell code by <laughs> saying the correct message. But that also but brings me to uh, maybe an even more, uh, I wouldn't say inappropriate uh, observation, but like, you know, it's there. there is in across pro sports, there is this search for the openly gay player, right? Mm-hmm. And we, I, I have a hard time, assu- I, I have just demographically, not everybody playing pro sports, men playing sports, pro sports are straight, right? That just can't be, that can't be true. So it'll be really interesting to find out after the fact if any of these players were in fact, you know, uh, living, you know, like living a double life or whatever else. But it's just the, the level of homophobia in a lot of pro sports is just really frustrating and unnerving. And I just wish it wasn't that way, you know? I mean, you look at the level of people in organized baseball, like there are so many and if statistics hold up, I mean, you could say like self-selecting, maybe they don't get involved. But one thing I've noticed is you see maybe more stories starting to come out of high school. Um, but there was actually just a story about, uh, whew, I forget what organization he was in. I think it was the Cardinals. Um, it was an openly gay player in the Cardinals organization in the minor leagues. And he quit. He just couldn't hack the constant homophobic comments. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine that would be incredibly difficult. Still have a pretty long way to go as far as that goes. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Let's see. Uh, our next question, uh, we'll go with Dylan's question. This is at Dylan before decaf. <laughs> uh, if you had to trust one former mayor to house sit for you while you were on tour, who would you pick? Oh, Dan Wilson. Absolutely. <laughs> Dan Wilson. I like how you have not that, only that at is the an ready. Excellent choice. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, you know, not only because I, you know, now he, you know, I got to meet him in person this past weekend mm-hmm. for the the softball game, but, you know, in talking to him and his wife after, uh, the game, I mean, he he, truly is as wonderful in person as, you might think he would be seeing him on TV and the broadcast or whatever. He just seems like a really, uh, really thoughtful and you know, um, intelligent, uh, guy. And uh, yeah, I, I was really, really impressed with him. He's, he's a spectacular guy and just due to growing up in the same neighborhood as him and having a friend who actually house set for the Wilson's family (laughs) (laughs) can confirm. Yeah. That is probably the best choice I can imagine in there. How about a current Mariner? Oh, current Mariner. Let's see. Um, kind of go around uh go around the field here um i was thinking i'd pick mike zanino because i feel like he would be really careful and like really want to get everything correct but i also feel like he'd call me to check in and like double check (laughs) some your language wasn't exactly clear here and like interrupt my vacation so i might i might rescind that choice that's a really good choice actually because zanino seems uh, i have i have not met zanino i have heard no reports about him as a human being but he seems like he seems like a really good person and uh, he seems like thoughtful and, you know, uh, like he would be a good a, a dude you could trust with something like mm-hmm. that. I might, I might, I, I would probably choose uh, Steve Ciszek if only uh, because, uh, you know, he seems to be a very pious man <laughs> and probably 
would not, uh, you know, if, if, if his propensity for Bible verses is any indication, probably I wouldn't have to worry about him stealing anything in my house. Um, so, yeah, I, I would probably choose him. He seems like he, you know, I, it's funny, like, you know, I last year I would get very angry with him when he would blow games. And, you know, but he he just he does see and, and even though a lot of his and, you know, I, I apologize if it offends anybody. But like I said, his propensity for like when he would perform poorly, you know, kind of shoot Bible verses off into the world via Twitter <laughs> about like, hey, you know, Jesus looks after us all kind of thing. It's like I get that, man. I'm, I'm stoked that you have your faith. But like that doesn't explain how you walk the bases loaded. Right. You know, and then somehow blew a three run lead. I that's. I, I'm, you know, so I wish he wouldn't do that because that makes me kind of more mad, you know, like, uh, but, um, but I, he seems like a good guy, you know. I would say that you would run into the risk of having those Bible verses pop up in your home, like randomly, like you'd open the, <laughs> yeah, d- you'd totally. be like just getting a steak knife and damn it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd be like, Hey, I went through your record collection. And I removed all the <laughs> records of the you know, with questionable, uh, questionable lyrics. <laughs> and replace them all with, oh, God, his closer entrance music. Do you did you ever experience that in person? Uh, I, I did, but I, I couldn't pick. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, because it was very danger up yeah. in this club. Yep. Yeah. Which was sort of shorthand on Mariner's Twitter for a while and then actually became funny because when he would come in, that would be the danger entering the club right then. But yeah, apparently well, they were like a. A Christian Lincoln Park, which was just wow. That's bad in a lot of ways. Um, you know, <laughs> actually, I have to say, um, you know, I, I, I guess the question I would ask, like to ask you guys a question. I'll answer first, and then you guys can answer. Uh, what you believe to be the worst walk-up music uh, in recent history was, and for me, it was Seth Smith's walk-up music. Yes, because he, tr- he also, <laughs> um, you know, good for him. Like the, he's a very religious man. That's you know, I, I do not mean to knock that at all. But th- his musical choice, you know, was something that was like, it was like a, I can put the sun finding It was like this very, it like. It was Christian very... Imagine Dragons was what it yes, was. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was, it was, uh, I, I did not like it. I did not like it. And, and that would just be like, oh, this guy's tuned. Come on, buddy. You got, come up to Kashmir or something. Come on. You got it. It was DC Talk before he changed it. When his first year in Seattle, it was DC Talk, which I was like, man, that. That brings me back. That brings me back to like seventh grade youth youth group. So at least right, that had like right. a nostalgia thing. Christian Imagine Dragons. It was called Captured. I spent a lot of time uh, listening slash writing about it. And uh, <laughs> uh, the worst walk up music. <sighs> Zunino has not done a great job because he he sort of bounces back and forth between the like Florida Georgia line and Chainsmokers which <gasps> is like no just a, the it is the most like Florida like central Florida guy uh you know that you could possibly be which is like he is I think I don't know from all accounts a really wonderful guy but um, it, it paints the exact picture that he s- appears to be and, and sort of, I think, <laughs> plays into that stereotype that we were talking about earlier of, well, you are what you look like on your cover, which is fine, but <laughs> just does not inspire me to look deeper. Uh, Ionetta also had a song that was like, one, I mean, one, one thing, if there's one thing that can be said about modern country music is that a lot of it is fairly economical, lyrically. <laughs> yes. you know, it's just, it's... And I mean that in all sincerity. It's like there's not like it's not really verbose. But oh, he had no. this song they'd walk up to that like 
the chorus had like a thousand words. It was like, you feel your tail lights breaking in the fall. Some are kicking with the back on the films of the town of Black County Road 44. And you're like, what the hell? Man? County Road 44 is like so specific and weird to have this in a song. Like. You know what I'm saying? And then I heard somebody else using it, like somewhere Zanino else. Zanino used it, too. Team. Yeah, it was the catcher jam. Yeah. It was the catcher anthem. <laughs> I was like, what is this weird song that's, like, so specific? And, like, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, what, you know, it's one thing. I was like, oh, I love my truck. And it's like, okay, great. That, that's, yeah, you, I get that. Like, Seeger's tune, like, Night whatever. ride. But you want to go for a night yeah. ride? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. on a night ride. Yeah, it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, that's, that's to be expected. But this was like really for a lot of words and like didn't make any sense and like it was like i can't imagine being like hey, this is my jam I, this is my jam this is what gets me pumped up i feel like there's a really great guest post for you to be written then where you pick new walk-up songs for every mariner oh man that would be a blast yes that would be amazing <laughs> and i would hope that they would take those really seriously um you took mine because seth smith's was and steve ciszek were the two worst ones i think but uh <laughs> and also whatever garbage they had diaz coming out to the sugar remit oh poor yeah, yeah totally i did i did really like um rodney's song just that weird like it's like great this is perfect like this is so maybe it maybe i liked it so much because it wasn't just a dumb rap rock song yeah. you know like uh and that it just was something that was like inst- having an instrumental like pump up song which is kind of an interesting twist you know that well, there wasn't words you know and i i think it's like it's not even their fault sometime because i remember they talked uh with edwin diaz at, like before the year about like trying to find him a walk-up song and he just wanted to play like this salsa song that he thought was like really like groovy and relaxing and they were like everyone's gonna fall asleep in the like if we play this through the speakers like we have to play something energized and he was like fine but it's it's unfortunate that josh reddick is on the astros for a lot of reasons <laughs> um but i but you know when he was using uh, "Careless Whisper" a couple years ago mm-hmm. um, as his walk-up song, I thought that was pretty much the greatest <laughs> thing I had ever seen <laughs> slash heard. And it's like, why don't I mean, like, it just it it was it was wonderful. And I was like, God, I want this guy. I would I would be I would not be sad if somebody with this personality was on our team. You know, uh, Evan Scribner used "Epic Sax Guy" when he was in Oakland, and I was really hoping that that would carry over to Seattle. But so far. No dice. <laughs> like Baker Street. Somebody could use like Baker Street or something like that. You know, like. <laughs> I would like them to use Ben Gibber doing Baker Street. <laughs> yeah, so to me, like doing. <laughs> you can just cut it together from this podcast. Which. Which, perhaps betraying my lack of musical taste, sounded a little bit to me like, when I was a young warthog. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. I will say say that my, uh, tangentially related, my ringtone for my wife is the, I don't know if you guys have gone to uh, spring training down in Peoria. Yes. But there's an old gentleman there who every time plays like, (laughs) and we were sitting behind him and I taped him over the entire game. So whenever she calls me, it's like, (laughs) and it's wonderful. Horn man is your, oh, wow. Yeah, pretty wonderful. Good grief. That's the Hawk Harrelson alarm clock (laughs) of Mariners. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Oh, my goodness. I keep it on silent a lot. I keep it on silent. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, All right, let's see. Uh, From Chris K., 
we have we got a couple questions here. Uh, the first is: Have you ever listened to music made by baseball adjacent people, uh, country Joe West, the Empire, or Ben Broussard, or others? Uh, I ha- I haven't I haven't delved into much baseball player music, um, although I, I I would like to see a tour. I was talking to a friend this past week about I want to see a tour of musician. I was, I was it was Mike our friend our mutual friend Mike. Kate. I was talking about how in the off season I think that every every athlete who's a rapper should go on tour together. <laughs> like should be like. You know, like uh, uh, Damian Lillard will go out, like Damian Lillard mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, Deuce mm-hmm. from uh, from the Sounders and just get like a rap tour, like a like a <laughs> summer slam jam kind of thing going with just athlete rappers. Um, I think that'd be pretty great. Actually, I do know um, who was the I, I'm flaking on this. There was a guy who played pitch for the White Sox who was in 10 foot pole. I think is that is that Mike, Mike correct in saying that it was like a punk band. He was like in a band on fat records. Hmm that was you know it's kind of hard it's it's i don't really have an aesthetic scott radinsky <laughs> man i i i'm i'm sure somebody listening would know but um yeah i mean th- that particular style of music it's it, i feel like the window of between good and bad is it's fairly narrow mm-hmm. like it's not i don't say that to diss pop punk but it's like i i mean i i don't have a discerning ear to tell when somebody's making bad <laughs> pop punk it all just kind of sounds like pop punk you know so i think that that was probably as good as it gets like you know, and kind of cool that a guy you know who plays major league baseball would be in a punk band, um, but uh, no, I have I have not delved too deeply into that subgenre. Um, all right, let's see, just a, a few more questions here. I think um, one from our uh, this is a little bit more of a, a music related <laughs> question, but comes from our uh, another one of our staff writers, uh, Zach Gotchuk. Um, so. Since Seattle has such a great music scene, uh, but there isn't much of a music budget in schools, uh, do you know of any, I guess, great community resources or programs or places for musicians that you are particularly have been impressed by and how they could be supported uh, more actively? Well, I, you know, you know the, you know the school district needs instruments, right? And I think that you know I, I think a lot, I you know for. You know, I'm always want to kind of donate um, instruments that are not being not being used to their full potential to, um, you know, music programs around the city. Um, Sure. uh, But also, you know, it's interesting. It's like what you know, what I see happening not only in Seattle, but in a lot of cities is uh, a, a, a version of privatization that we're seeing on a much more macro level throughout our entire country mm. where, um, you know, something as culturally enriching as music um, becomes a non-essential, mm. becomes non-essential sure. in school districts. So then that those programs get farmed out to, uh, uh, you know, to for-profit organizations. And, you know, I have some friends who work you know who teach in music schools that you know for you know the, you know that charge per lesson and you know and you know there's these you know schools that kind of you know they put kids together and teach them how to be in rock bands and stuff like that and sure. that's all well and good but what i fear as far as music education goes in not only the city but across the country is that it is being placed in the hands of people with means and not accessible to people who don't have the uh financial means to not only buy a very expensive instrument but also pay f- then pay for the lessons to learn how to play mm-hmm. it um 
you know, when I'm I'm 40, when I was in when I was in elementary school, you there was a go into a room, go into a room, and they had a bunch of instruments set up, and they just let you play with certain stuff, and then if you had a you know, uh, a, you know, a, a knack for a certain instrument, they would kind of go like, hey, you know, sound looks like Johnny's pretty good at the kind of picking up that trumpet and kind of figuring out how to make a sound out of it. Maybe we should. <laughs> and then Johnny's walking home with the trumpet and a book of lessons, you know, huh. and, you know, that just doesn't really happen anymore. And it's, you know, I, I feel it's a much more systemic problem that we're seeing, uh, you know, th- you know, in across, you know, the city in this country. And well, I got really kind of heavy there for a second. Sorry, but it's, you know, <laughs> Sorry, no. but yeah, but it, but it's but, you know, I, I, I I personally um, uh, every summer teach a uh, uh, teach a songwriting uh, workshop, like a week long songwriting workshop at uh, the uh, what used to be H Six Seattle. Now it is the Bureau of Fearless Ideas, uh, ideas. And uh, myself and Eric from the band Cataldo, we mm-hmm. spend like a week with kids. You know, it's free. You can sign up for it. Um, I'm not sure if it's full at this point, but you know, we teach kids how to write songs, and and you know they write lyrics and we help them kind of with the music and it's all mostly kids between eight and 12 um but it's really fun to kind of see you know see kids learn how to write lyrics and then see those you know those words turn into actual music it's it's really fun absolutely um back to i guess another another baseball question here and and kate i guess i'm curious about this for you but um as well but what would you define as a success we got we i got a couple questions on this so, so what what is your what would you define as a successful mariner season what 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 when you think and dream about the mariners and them making it what you know what what do you envision does does it have to be the world series or, or like what would what would you look at a mariner season and you say yes I have th- my my forty years of mm. service have been have been uh, mm. you know repaid and and put you know put to good use. Well, the obvious answer is winning the World Series. Mm. Um, but I, I as we are staring down the barrel of another <laughs> year missing the playoffs, <laughs> you know, I think that you know, I, you know, I think I mean there's just making the playoffs is a, a, a tiered goal, but I think also. You know, what's been incredibly frustrating for me as a Mariners fan is we have seen organizations like the Cubs and the Astros just completely dismantle their teams and rebuild them from the ground up and build, like, legit contenders with a crop of amazing young players and a boatload of prospects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're in that position to, like, they've put together a a, a team that will grow together at least for, you know, under – under like uh under financial control for a fairly long period of time and they'll have you know a good three to five year run where they're going to be really competitive and what's been incredibly frustrating to me as a mariners fan is that you know this organization uh through all of its gms over the past 15 16 years has tried to uh they have they have tried to contend and rebuild at the same time and i think what we've seen you know over the course of the past 10 years is that if you you if you need you need to break it down to like the studs and rebuild the whole damn thing and you know this notion of like well we're going to pick up this guy on a 10 year contract we're going to pick up this guy for 5 years let's re-sign this guy it's like you know i you know i was texting with a friend and we were talking about like who's going to be the first one to go because obviously you can't <laughs> move cano you can't move him nobody's going to take him mm. and you know but i would i can see a world in which you know cruz walks out the door either mm-hmm. 
at the trade de deadline this year or maybe at, in the offseason or wherever else, you know, I feel that if this organization was being realistic, they would realize that, like, we are this is not going to happen for us the way we want it to happen now. It, we, the window has has not completely closed, but, like, what, what are we realistic, realistically looking at? We're looking at a wild card berth. That's really all we can hope for at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, into next year and the year after that, given the strength of the Astros um, and, and, you know, other teams that kind of always seem to creep up in the division. So, you know, I, I feel like for me, I would rather go through three or four years of just, you know, purposely abysmal baseball and then build, you know, s you know, a build a roster, the, you know, similar to the Cubs or mm -hmm. the Astros and see that team grow over the course of the next 10 years rather than what we're seeing every year, which is just like, you know, they, they fill in holes. And, and I think DePoto's done a wonderful job of doing that. He was he, he didn't he wasn't given a great hand to begin with. <laughs> I think he's done a wonderful job, you know, trying to fill those holes. But I feel I, I could I think we're all seeing this lack of depth um, is a real problem and lack of a farm system. There's nobody. There's nobody to trade, and you know that's that's really frustrating. So I think at this point, the long um, the long way around to answering your question is I think at this point, you know, I would see I would see a su success honestly as like a be a you know facing the stark reality of what the next few years look like in this organization if we continue down this path mm -hmm. and making the painful yet necessary decisions to you know just start sh shedding payroll and getting rid of people and trying to start over again it is it is i think something that we certainly we've talked about a lot because i think we were definitely you know optimistic uh coming into this season certainly prior i would say more so prior to uh drew smiley going down and than prior to the entire team falling apart, um, you know, physically. But, you know, it is it is interesting that, you know, the last time this, you know, the last time this sort of rebuild, not quite a full teardown, but rebuild happened, and we got, you know, all these young prospects, and it was exciting, and, you know, it didn't work, that I think a lot of people feel burned by that um, and feel like it can never work. Uh, and like, obviously, like, as you said, you know, the Astros made this happen because if you make a good bet, if you have a good process, like eventually that's going to work out. Um, so it, you know, it's a, it's a tough, but interesting situation. And, and I think that's a very, very solid way of looking at it. Well, and I think to kind of build off that point, you know, you know, at a certain point as a, as a Mariners fan, you have to look around the baseball landscape and go, you know, why is it that the Cardinals are competitive every year mm -hmm. why is it that you know you know the red sox or whoever else are well, let's just let's just take the cardinals like <laughs> they're 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 like a you know they are like st louis is not a giant market they obviously have a you know you know decades and decades and decades of of baseball culture kind of you know running through their veins there mm. but you know they're it, it, it at a certain point you have to ask yourself this question like why is it that the Cardinals are somehow always able to turn around a fifth round draft pick and that person becomes Matt Carpenter yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, why does this continue <laughs> to happen? And I think I think that as you you know, just deductive reasoning tells you that the Mariners through you know, do not do not have uh, you know, they have really shitty player development. Had. And they're very I think, they're I think really had is 
Had? You I think, think had? had? Yeah, because if you look at the transformation that's happened in the minor leagues, I mean, right now they have, right now some of the minor league teams are struggling, but um, last year every one of them went to the playoffs. I mean, with prospects who are not considered, um, you know, gold star prospects, I, I just think that this current, and speaking sort of as an educator and looking at the and talking with some guys in the minor leagues um the kind of teaching that they're getting is so much better than what they've had before it's just i think that with good choices good drafts they can dig out of this but uh you know you're still looking at guys who are drafted under jack z you're looking at guys especially in the upper minors who have been in the system for a long time and they've learned a certain way and um the current regime is asking them to learn things an entirely different way and that's a struggle for some of them they're having to change their approach so well you know, well you certainly would know more about that than i would so i you know i i, I will i will place my faith in in that <laughs> being a reality for sure <laughs> i mean it doesn't do much to help us like where we are at now though which i i, I mean i think I think that there's probably the window, you know, you have this year and obviously all these horrible things happened um, with the injuries. And I think maybe they give one more year to potentially have everybody healthy, have everybody contributing. And if they can't make it work next year, I think we go into full on uh, teardown mode. But I, I, I think Jerry cares a lot about what he's built and has built it carefully and is going to be hesitant to blow things up right now it's just my and i think instinct. that's i i, I th yeah and i think that's i think that instinct is is probably you know in is certainly correct i mean I, you know I, I think when you think about what 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 you could get for nelson cruz right now <laughs> you kind of start salivating oh, a bit and sure. like, wow somebody, if we could if we could dump this guy to somebody else for a year and a half of service and we get you know, get some get something of value back. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I think, you know, if if at this time next year we're in a similar position, you, they will have no, they will not have a choice other than to completely dismantle the the team. I think there's I a agree. role that Cruz plays too. His name is probably the one I come that comes up the most as he's the most attractive trade piece, right? But um, you know, the role that he plays in the clubhouse and as far as like a just really even in player development, the help he gives to other players. Um, talking to one of the minor leaguers said, you know, when he was at spring training, which was only for a short while because of the WBC, he just had an open door policy. And, you know, that all these kids, all these little double A kids, single A kids would come up to him and ask him questions and he would help out every single one of them. It's like having another coach. So yeah. I, I think that there are, I don't know how heavily those considerations will weigh, but I would like to point out, I think those, those considerations are there. <laughs> uh, might I share a tweet with you that our mutual friend, Mike just texted uh. to me. This is, uh, this is a Bob Dutton tweet. Hashtag Mariners manager, Scott service on right-handed pitcher, Casey Lawrence. I don't know a ton about him other than he's in our uni and he's available tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Casey, God. that's where we are, yeah. folks. That's where yeah. we are. Casey Lawrence uh, was picked up off waivers from the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays fans were mad about it, which I always feel <laughs> is a good sign. They they thought that they had missed something. 
Um, apparently made some mechanical <laughs> changes and had a really impressive spring training, but wasn't great in his appearances with the Blue Jays. So <laughs> I, I also don't... feel I, what, what what also saddens <laughs> me about what will inevitably be a Blue Jays turnaround is I was really, really, really hoping that by the time the Blue Jays came to Seattle for their three or four game stand where Safeco gets taken over by Blue right. Jays fans that they would be just in the drink and mm. and and playing so badly that th- that the Mariners would just humiliate <laughs> them in front of their home fans <laughs> for uh, oh, three or God. four games but that doesn't look like that's Well they're happen. currently we, getting their butts kicked by the Braves. So I feel like if the Braves we are not a good team but I would not take <laughs> their sweep of us against, you know, Ryan Weber, kid pitcher in his three innings, and no Cano. Right, of course. You know, I I don't think that that – and I had a lot of very gleeful Blue Jays fans in my mentions for the account just, you know, crowing. (laughs) And I had to be like, look, you guys beat a triple-A team. I don't know why you're so excited. So, yeah, the Braves – Which I guess that – Oh, no, go ahead. No, the Braves have handed it to them. Right now the Braves are up 6-0 on the Blue Jays. That's the 15 and 21 Braves – by the way, ah, so which I, which which maybe which brings me to a question I'd like to ask the both of you: what, which which fan base do you enjoy the least <laughs> when they come to Safeco? Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, there's the big three, right? There's the big three. Yeah, because yeah, you know, but you know, you never know. I, Boston, I think, was certainly the worst for me I, until last year because I I. The, the previous, like, Toronto game that I remembered was the Thunderstruck game um, mm. where Cano hit the double after, you know, that double off the wall after the lightning strike, and it was crazy and awesome, and everyone, you know, was going wild, and they were very silent. Uh, but that I, I went to two uh, the first two of that three-game series, and each night watched just misery and watched my friend – weep and wonder why the like why the team he loved couldn't ever do right and couldn't do good things and as Iwakuma watched you know Jose Bautista lap the bases again and it was just miserable to not only you know and actually Kate's my favorite piece that Kate wrote the whole of last year was about how it felt horrible not only to you know like okay we've seen the Mariners lose but we usually get to do it you know somewhat on our terms and in our own place. And it was like, we had our home ripped away from us to do that. Like we we were watching it happen as people danced around on our graves. (laughs) And it was just, yeah. So the Reds just hearing people scream about Poppy every, you know, every year of my, you know, going, going to Red Sox games has been pretty miserable, but I think the Jays have overtaken that. Yeah, I was forced to be rude to a Jew, a Jays fan. Not a Jew. That's terrible. Cut that out, John. <laughs> good, good. Go for it. We got. Good goddamn. I'm good. Okay, so uh, you you'd made it so far without oh, insulting a geographic region oh, in this podcast. Oh. All right, so I am most mad at the Jays fans probably because first of all they get in my mentions on Twitter and they're snide. And secondly, um, 
there was a group of Blue Jays fans and they were so loud and they were standing in between me and my beer. And like, if you want to really get me mad, stand between me and my beer and don't move fast enough. So I had to be like (laughs) snotty to them, which then they were super passive aggressive, nice to me because, you know, Canadians, they were like, oh, we're so sorry. You seem to be in a real rush. Go ahead. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we have ways of doing things here. I turned into such a small, horrible little person, and I don't like that they brought that out in me. So it's it's got to be the J. It's got to be the Blue Jays fans. Yeah, I was. I think last year, or maybe a couple of years ago, when the Jays were here, I was getting cash out of a cash machine down by the park, and there were three uh, women who, in all Blue Jays gear, who were in behind me in line. And like as I was getting money out of the machine, I didn't think they were going to rob me, of course, but they were literally like. <laughs> six inches behind me they kept creeping up and i was like guys can i get a little room here and they were like oh oh yeah like we're gonna rob you like no it's just a personal space issue like what's wrong with you guys like like what are you doing yeah i i I feel you know i i mean i feel like a lot of red sox fans that come to safeco i you know i i don't buy this whole I don't buy this whole, like, well, our fans travel well. It's like, no, they don't. Bullshit. <laughs> they don't travel. They don't. No. There are not 20,000 people who flew here from, like, Worcester for this game. That's not That's not what's happening here. There is no there, – there's no tra- – people don't tra- – I mean, I'm sure there are a handful of people who do, but, you know, there are so many uh, Boston, you know, transplants in the Northwest for uh, for a number of reasons, most like – I mean, a lot – because Seattle is just better than Boston as a city. <laughs> um, but, you know, also, I, so I get that. I get why I'd want to leave Boston. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, but, you know, there's so, but then, so there are those fans, but then there are also the fans that just kind of jumped on a bandwagon 10 years ago and now they're Red Sox fans. Mm. Uh, but I, I, do, I would have to agree with both of you that Blue Jays fans are the, the, the worst because they bring a hockey, a lot of them bring like a hockey kind of mentality <laughs> to a baseball game. And look, I, I understand that if you live in Western Canada, this is pretty much the only opportunity you get to see your team. So you bring like a playoff atmosphere to what is, is a meaningless game in, in August and you're excited to see your team. And I totally understand that. But, you know, I, I, I feel like the level of debauchery and drunkenness is, is, you know, is, 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 is really a next level when it comes to Jays fans. Last time I was Seattle. at the game, I, I stood behind a bunch of girls who were all wearing tank tops that said, we love BJs with the Blue Jays logo, not Seamen with the Mariners logo. And I was like, why? are you doing this? Why would you ever make that choice? Your parents must be proud of you. Your parents must just, be very proud of you. I mean, and just like glorying and taking pride in wearing those, which, I mean, I I don't mind a tasteless joke now and then, but all of them decked out in those and like their super short shorts and just drunk off their asses at like one in the afternoon because they were all on vacation. And it's just like, oh. But again, bringing yeah, ugliness I, I, out I of I just myself. avoid those games now. Yeah, I just, I, I just avoid those games. And, you know, the you know I guess the point can be made, well, you know, you can't let these fans take over your stadium. Yes, I can. I'm going <laughs> to do that because I'm not I'm not going to pay money to be in this environment. This is horrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. We've got one final question here, I think. Um, we can wrap up here. It comes from our staff writer, Isabel Manassian. Uh, if you were – each to compose a song about a 2017 Mariner, who would it be and what would the song be about? 
Oh yeah, that is a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I might kind of write a, a you know, a, uh, a ballad to Felix Hernandez's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and, in, and in the same, it, it kind of in, a, in, this, in the same way one might write a song about, you know, their partner or, uh, you know, object of their affection being like, do you really, do you really love me? You know, <laughs> are you, do, are we really good? You know, do we really, is, is, is our relationship on solid ground? <laughs> I would kind of write that song about Felix Hernandez's shoulders asking the question, how long have you really, how long has this been going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, how, 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 how injured are you really? <laughs> And do you still love me? <laughs> can you? Can you oh. Do you have anything left? To, do you have anything left to give us? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I want to hear the end of it. I'm not sure. I want to know the final verse right now. Well, we'll leave it open. We'll, it'll be an open-ended. Yeah, uh, I want. I definitely want to hear that song. Actually, I feel like that would be very cathartic to just put on on repeat and lie on my bed and look out the window at the rain. Uh, if I had to compose a song about a 2017 Mariner, uh, I would write, I would write a really cheery, happy song for Mike Zanino and I would just (laughs) play it to him all the time, like just constant audio therapy. And it would be like, you're good. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. And like, just see if I can will him into believing that because I, I, just stop swinging at stuff that's not in the zone, and you can hit 25 homers this year. <laughs> well, he quits. He quits swinging at the garbage is a thing. It's just now it's like he can't make contact anymore. And for some reason, it, I feel like someone needs to go like Eeyore on him and pin a tail on him and be like, look, it was in you all along. Like he just needs like a lifetime movie moment where somebody like or Disney Channel or something where. You know, he he <laughs> believes in his own beauty and power again. I, I he and I while we're on the topic of Zanino, it I well, when he was up with the team, it would frustrate me to no end when he would have runners in scoring position, and he would just take two just meatballs down the yes. middle of the plate, <laughs> and then just swing at some like some wrinkle, you know, and and be on the bench in in three pitches like. Guy, you got two great pitches <laughs> right off the bat. Just swing the bat, man. Come on. It's, so, yeah, it's I, insulting. Like, it's insulting the pitches that they throw. Like, I'm insulted on his behalf that major league pitchers <laughs> think that they can put balls there because they know he won't hit them. So I'm hoping he's he's on a – he's going to tour some t- – tee off against some AAA pitching and, and get his groove back. <laughs> I certainly hope so as well. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all. Wait, are you skipping Christian's question? Oh, whoops! I I missed. I missed Christian's question. We cannot skip the question from Christian Powers, who's in a band (laughs) called Colonies. Uh, He runs. He's at King Known Turf, and he wants to know what's the worst song. Corey Hart is an empty room. Seeger Brothers on a hotel bed. (laughs) Bullpen help is so hard to find. Four o five OPS or song for Kelly Shopak. Did I say his name right? Sure. I'm going to go with that bullpen help. <laughs> Good bullpen help is hard to find. That one's awesome. <laughs> and topical. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I agree. Although oh, Seeger Brothers on a hotel bed is 
really disturbing to me in, in its imagery. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it really is. It, it is, and it is just really, it is just kind of fitting, right? That like, like, like Corey Seager's down there in LA just looking all handsome, <laughs> you know, <laughs> LA, you know, he's tan, he's got a tan, you know, he's just, just <laughs> crushing the ball, making plays, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love our Seager. I wouldn't trade our Seager for anybody. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's just like yeah, of course this is how yeah, it goes. This is this is the Seeger <laughs> we get. It's a great insight into his like just self, uh, like just beating himself up character all the time too. It's like you, you know they had an interview I think with him and he, you know as always he's asked about like which of you like could dunk first and he's like well it was Corey because he's tall and athletic <laughs> and and like. What position did you play? Well, I wanted to play shortstop, but I wasn't fast enough, so I had to play third. It's like, oh. I mean, at least Corey's always got a leg up on Justin, though. So who we also have. So we have we have Justin and Corey who added together, or we have Justin and Kyle who added together. Don't make a Corey, but that's cool. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's got to be an it's got to be pretty kind of difficult. I mean, there's always there is the archetypal story of. Uh, you know, the older brother who's great at everything and the younger brother's like, you uh, everybody always asked me about you and you were great and I was <laughs> shit. Like, that's a story. That's like, that's a often told story, you know, mm-hmm. like the like narrative, right? But I, I, you know, this is one of those rare occasions where the younger brother mm-hmm. and the, is, is more, is better than the older brother mm-hmm. at the, th- the, the same thing. In like every do, conceivable you know? sense. But yeah. <laughs> oh, everyone. Every <laughs> single one. Yeah. Oh. But hey, I love our Seeger, damn it. Absolutely. Our Seeger is also better at holding a baby because he has some. <laughs> and there is a picture of Justin Seeger holding a baby and he looks like he is holding a bag of snakes. So <laughs> there's one thing. And I have a, I have a feeling Corey Seeger is going to be kind of like the, he's going to have like a Jeter-esque kind of career as far as it's like he'll he'll just be like a single bachelor for the next 20 years. <laughs> Uh, actually i'm showing that i know nothing about his personal life maybe he's married with a kid i don't know but in my mind i just see this guy like he's out at the club he's out at duck club yeah every night just meeting models and hanging out and having a great time for him he is the most la seeker and i think it is yes the most that's that's yes definitely all right well thank you so much ben for coming on and chatting with us and thank you to everybody who sent in their questions and uh, yeah, we will we will talk with you next week, hopefully with some better news. Well, and let me just say, I thank you so much for having me on. And you know, I said this over email, but I feel it's worth saying on the podcast that you know, Lookout Landing is you know is pretty much the only outlet that kind of keeps my perspective and makes me laugh and keeps me sane when the Mariners are playing terrible because you guys do such a wonderful job of bringing a sense of humor. And, you know, and and, you know, intellect, you know, to this, you know, crazy world of Mariners baseball. This, so this thank very, you so very bad choice we have all made and we all yeah. make every day <laughs> to continue in this fandom. So and when we're all trying to make the best of it. Right. We're all just, you know, we're just we're all we're all here just kind of shaking our heads at the same time. And you might as well, you know, like carry some gallows humor along with that. Right? <laughs> for Absolutely. sure. Well, thank you very much for that, Ben. Thank you to everybody who listened to this. We'll talk to you next week. She said I need a little something with some get up and go and nobody knows how to get me going quite like you do.
when you're doing the things that you do. Want to get this sleep before I'm down. Something to talk about. We were tail lights fading from some blue lights chasing. Put a path through the corn off County Road 44. Torpal fence. Jumping the dead.